Welcome back to another episode of MVP Business, where we showcase leaders who live through their mission, vision, and passion to drive growth, profits, and loyalty. Today, our guest is Dr. Debbie Silver. She's a world-renowned speaker, author, and sought-out expert on the topics of education, resilience, and differentiated learning. Merging humor, realism, and data, she trains, motivates, and educates teachers, parents, and business leaders at all levels. Oh, thank you, Sal. Welcome to the podcast today. Oh, it's good to be here. So let's start out with you telling us uh, about your story, how you got into education in the first place, and how you ended up becoming such a sought-after speaker and author. (laughs) Well, you know, that's interesting because I always tell people, you know, go back to your roots. And as a child, I had two ambitions. I wanted to be a comedian. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a writer. And I used to write books and things, um, even as a very young child. And one of the books that I just found it, you know, years later was called Little Teacher. And it was about a girl who opened up her own kindergarten in in her own house. And it was, you know, very juvenile. But I totally forgot about that. So I get into high school and I get all caught up in theater and um, journalism and just thought, well, those are the things I'll pursue. And I never joined like future teachers and um, just didn't see myself in that role at all. And thought, well, if I ever did teach, I'd probably be a theater arts teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, follow my passion for theater. So Cut the story short, I I get married uh, very young. I only had two years of college, and they were in theater, and ended up in a little bitty town in Louisiana, northwest Louisiana, where there are very few jobs, and um, I was asked to be like a temporary substitute, because they were desperate, and we're talking about abject poverty, we're talking about, I was asked to go to the all-African-American school, and um, they just needed, they didn't have enough teachers, they didn't have enough warm bodies, and I'm like, well, I was working at our family hardware store at the time, and I thought, okay, well, it's got to be this. So uh, I was an idiot. I just thought, well, how hard could it be to teach? Right. I mean, seriously, I used to babysit. <laughs> uh, and now every teacher out there is cringing right now, and I cringe when I think about it. But I'm so glad that I did because I show up, and uh, it's a funny story because they told me I was going to have fourth grade. <laughs> These kids just walked in. I mean, I had no training. There was no prep. There was no internship. It was just, here's your room. Show up and teach. And I was 20 years old. I was naive enough to go, well, all right. I'm going to do that. I'll do it. I'm good. And these little short people showed up. And I went, you guys are really short. (laughs) And I said, wait, what grade are you in? They were in the first grade. And I learned in education, you have no control over that. I was hired to teach fourth grade. Um, but somehow over the summer I got switched to first, but nobody told me that. Oh, wow. So I had 24 first graders and we didn't have kindergarten. So they'd never been to school in their lives. Oh, wow. They're holding birth certificates and shop records. I'm supposed to translate those into registration because our parents didn't have transportation. They didn't pre-register. It was, it was crazy. I was Caucasian. My kids were African-American. I'm from the city. This is a little bitty country town. They're not understanding me. I'm not understanding them. They're crying. I'm crying. <laughs> and so I told the kids, I just said, look, and they were so sweet. They were like, oh, please don't cry. You know, you'll be okay. You know, breathe, breathe. I'm like, no, no, I have to quit. And they said, no, be our teacher. And I said, guys, I don't know how to teach. And out of the mouths of babes, one of my first graders said, 
we'll show you. Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh. I said, all right, all right, let's let's see if we can make this work. And it was a very rocky road, but I loved them. Yeah. And then I realized that it took me less than a week to, I like, I had my own room. I had my own bulletin boards. Mm-hmm. You know, I had stickers, you know, I went and bought markers so I could snip them. No, no. <laughs> that came later. But I loved it. I loved being their teacher. Yeah. And I'd walk in the morning and, you know, little hugs, little faces, of course, little booger rubs on my leg. And these first graders are pretty amazing. But I realized that first year, you know what? I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And so um, I had enrolled back in college. I was going to finish my theater arts degree. And I'd realized I probably wasn't going to make it to Broadway. But um, I could at least, you know, teach theater arts in this small town. But they didn't make provisions for that. I didn't have a theater arts. Right. You know, and so I changed my major to elementary education, which was a huge shock to me. Mm-hmm. But... I started learning and honing my craft and made every mistake in the world that you could make. But I think one of the biggest benefits was I truly believe in that phrase, grow where you're planted. And I ended up planted in a very tiny town. I'm going to give a plug to Logansport, Louisiana, <laughs> because I loved it. And like I said, I'm a city girl. I grew up in a big city, huge high school. But I really loved the small town. I loved the people there embraced me. They opened arms. The African-American community just opened their arms to me. And I think part of it was because I was so naive. I knew squat. And I didn't know about the customs. And so I'd go, so why do y'all do that? Uh-huh. You know, and they would explain it to the kids. that go, oh, you know, I was Miss Pace then. Miss Pace can't sweep under your feet. I said, why not? And they said, because then you won't get married. And I'm like, uh-huh. seriously? But y'all, I'm already married. No, you won't get a boyfriend. I said, no, I don't want a boyfriend. I went, you will. And I'm like, oh my God. But they taught me so much. And that those words, when they said, we'll show you, mm-hmm. truest words that were ever spoken. Right. And so um, I only lasted one year in first grade, which I finally realized, you know, with my type A personality, squirrel, you know, I really um, probably is, that, that's not my best fit. So I got moved to fourth grade. I like that even better. And later on, I picked up second and third. I've taught all the grades, all the way up. But I loved fourth grade and thought that would be where I'd stay forever. Mm-hmm. And then I got moved to, to sixth grade when we uh, finally integrated our schools. And I just thought, oh, this is going to be horrible. Middle school, I, never, I don't want this. And oh, my gosh, those kids, they got my jokes. They understood my mm-hmm. weird humor. You know, I just... That was that's always been my favorite. It still is, mm-hmm. and I guess the grow where you're planted was the secret, and just listening and learning. But the uh, the benefit for me was, and I'm not throwing off on colleges that have education because I've been a professor of education. But I really think going in without any preconceived ideas, um, I was forced. It was relationships. I was right. forced to build those relationships with the kids, and when they go, I don't understand this. And instead of going, well, I don't understand why you don't understand, I would just have to ask them because I had, I didn't know how to diagnose. I didn't know how to prescribe. So I'm like, okay, well, show me what's, show me what the problem is. And so I really did have to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And I did not have the tools and the the skills that I would later get. 
But I run into those kids now, and they're going, you were such a good teacher. I'm going, I was not. It was horrible. <laughs> I no, apologize. I know. I want to apologize. <laughs> they're like, well, we thought you were great, yeah. which tells us a lot about what kids want. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I had a former student that's now um, a lieutenant colonel. And, in fact, she'll be a colonel soon. And her name was Tara, and I had her early on. And I said, she goes, you're you're my hero. You're the reason I'm in this place. And I'm like, I mean, we're talking about a kid that didn't have running water. We're talking about a kid whose mother decided she didn't want to be a mom. Tara was the oldest of six, and she became the mom, along with her grandmother. I mean, you know, we could be crying about Tara's story, but she overcame all that. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, you were a large part of that. And I said, Tara, I... I don't remember anything that I did. I mean, some kids you do. I know I went to the mat. But Tara, nothing stands out. And I said, you're going to have to tell me words because I talk to teachers all the time, and I want to know what you think I did. And she said, you believed in me, Mm -hmm. and you treated us. And she said, Miss Pace, it's really, kids can feel the vibe. And she said, you always made me believe I could be more than I was. And she said, I've carried that with me. And I'm just crying. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, because I didn't remember that. Right. But I did believe that about my kids. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would just tell them, you can be, I used to say you can be anything you want to be. That's not true uh, of any of us. But you can always be better than you are now. Right. And, you know, you and I were talking earlier. And my statement to kid, kids is, do what you love but get really good at it. Mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of people go, well, do what you love. And all fall. No, that is not true. Do what you love, but you have to get really good at what you do. So the teaching thing, I always got better. Uh-huh. And so every year I was better than I was the year before. And I also, with my ADHD or squirrel, whatever it is, <laughs> um, I, I really did like, I got switched in a lot of, doing a lot of different things. And I like that Mm -hmm. because I find myself getting kind of bored if I'm doing the same thing over. I already know what mistake you're going to make. And Mm -hmm. so that was, to me, it was a big advantage. So. So how long did you teach? In the classroom, 21 years. years. And then nine years at the university, Louisiana Tech. Go Bulldogs. (laughs) And and for six of those years, I was um, a psych coordinator we had a special program because I ended up as a science teacher mm-hmm. and um again that was pretty crazy because Miss Frizzle Miss Frizzle I know it was <laughs> but I just I didn't even like science but the kids liked it uh-huh. and so we started we were going to departmentalize because we were going into middle school and nobody wanted science and I knew squat about science all I remember was read the chapter answer the questions read the chapter answer the questions and it was taught like a language art boring uh-huh and I started thinking, but you know, it wouldn't have to be that way. I mean, science, you could do stuff. You could dissect stuff. You could go on field trips. You could watch cool films. So I just took that on. And uh, and with no background, I mean, I, in, I'm not. animals? Oh, oh, yeah, I had all those snakes and hedgehogs. <laughs> and just it just grew and grew. But the kids loved it. I mean, every kid, is in, they want to know about their own bodies. Yeah. So that's, you know, getting their attention. If you're teaching, no problem. You know, blow something up, start a fire. (laughs) Woo! This is so cool. So that was uh, my lead-in. And then uh, that grew, and I created some grants and did some pretty big things in science. Uh, Pretty much self-taught, but went to the conferences, you know, Louisiana 
Teachers Association really had to study because this is before the internet. So I had to figure out ways to, to make it all work and later learned about safety. God, I'm so glad I didn't kill any kids because I made so many mistakes. But I got hired to come and teach other middle school teachers that passion about teaching science. And so um, we had a big grant that was put on uh, the state of Louisiana, and I got selected to be that person. And so my job was to teach teachers all summer, and then the dream job of the world, go into the classrooms all during the school year. So I was like the science fairy. Mm. So everything I'd ever wanted a teacher to do for me, I got to do for teachers. Because mm. I'd get there and they go, oh, man, I need some food coloring. And I'm like, got it. I'm on it. Get to go get it for them. You know, bring them little snacks, help them set up their aquariums, be their extra hands, go on their field trips, you know, do newsletters, buy ready T-shirts. It was like I got to be the support cheerleader person, which was such a great role. Mm-hmm. That was one of my most fun jobs. And then um, while I was at Tech, they wanted me to start on my doctorate, which I did. And then a position came up as as the science uh, methods teacher for both secondary and elementary. And I took that. And so I ended up at Tech. So that was 30 years Uh altogether. But I've always taught either kids or teachers. Right. So, which I still do. You absolutely do. So how how did you make the decision to go from being an educator and being in that world to then um, coaching, speaking, uh, writing books? And how did your family react to that big change? Well, it, you know, this is something that was is strange because I, in that process, I got Louisiana Teacher of the Year, which was, you know, that just means I get to represent all the great teachers in the state of Louisiana. But somehow... To the powers that be, that gives you a credibility you didn't have before, Mm -hmm. which royally ticks me off because I was exactly the same teacher the day before I got it as the day after I got it. But I started getting opportunities to speak because it's like, well, we want the teacher Teacher of the the year. And so the word of mouth started. And I'm such a hanger. Remember, I've got a theater background. So here's that comedian coming out. So I get to go be funny, but also stand up for teachers mm-hmm. and, um, and with a purpose. So I'm doing that on the side, which my, my school system supported that. I was teaching in Treeport at the time because it looked good for Caddo Parish where I was. And so I kind of got into that. But I'm limited because I'm in the classroom all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't even make it a business. I didn't know what to do. People would say, well, how do we get in touch with you? I'd give them deposit slips oh. because I had my name in my, I didn't have a card. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, I think I charged like $50 and I'd go work all day. And because uh-huh. I, I loved, I loved, that's when I realized I love teaching teachers. Uh-huh. And I started doing workshops right before I got teacher of the year because I just wanted to share this with other teachers. And I wanted the opportunity to say, you don't have to make all the mistakes I made. Let me let me cut to the chase for you guys. Let me help you with this. And so that got me kind of speaking there. And then the thing was, after I was teacher of the year, my reward was, oh my gosh, you're such a great teacher. We're going to make you a principal. Oh. And that was kind of the path because the the pay differentiation was huge Mm -hmm. and I was single and had these three sons and I'm looking at that but that was going to be my reward now I did get a master's in supervision administration and went for my interviews I was in Shreveport at the time and so they called me in and they went well you know we we just think you're material and we're going to give you 
a principalship. And so I came home and um, I, well, I got back to Logosport and I was dating Lawrence Silver at the time. And I ran it by him. And he is the first person that ever said this. He goes, Deb, do you really want to be a principal? Mm-hmm. You know, I had never thought of that. Right. Because it was just kind of the natural, you did this, you paid your dues, you, 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 know, you passed your certification, you passed your interviews, now you want. But do you really want that? Mm-hmm. He said, I, not that I don't think you could do it. And I think there are a lot of really good principals out there that are like me, that are very random, that are very teacher-focused. But let me just say, most of the principals I worked with weren't that way. Mm -hmm. They were much more um, sequential, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. And I hate meetings. I would rather have a mammogram than go (laughs) to a freaking meeting. Yeah. And they do that. Yeah. And Lawrence said, do you really want that? And I'm like, I don't think I do. Mm-mm. So I went in for my interview and they said, well, we think you're ready to take a principalship. And what, what do you want? I said, honestly, y'all don't have anything I want. And they were like, what? Uh-huh. And I said, well, what I want to be is a science supervisor because I could see myself in that role going and helping science teachers. But they had two relatively young guys in that role and they weren't giving their jobs up. And I said, I don't think you have anything, you have anything I want. So I went back to the classroom, and that's when the opportunity came up. And it was supposed to be one year to go to Louisiana Tech and, and be the site uh, coordinator for this program I just talked about. It was called Project Life. And so uh, my principal was not happy, but she said, um, Deb, I'm never going to support you in a lateral move. Just get that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to the magnet school. You're not making a lateral move. But she said, I've known since... Uh, since I met you, that I'm not going to be able to keep you here. Mm-hmm. And she said, I see this as a forward step, and I want you to take it. Now, that was one of the hardest things I've ever done because, and I don't mean this to sound like bragging, and it's not because every teacher listening to this knows what happens. Parents start looking forward to certain teachers mm-hmm. because the kids, the words get out. And I had parents coming to me at school saying, we have waited three years to have you for a teacher, and you're leaving? You're leaving? Or you taught our oldest son, and now his little brother, and man, that was so hard. And I said, but I'm coming back, because I really thought I was. Mm -hmm. And they're going, no, we're just talking next year. So, you know, packed up my room. I had a student teacher, so I was able to leave her all my stuff, you know, not feel bad about it. It'd still be there when I got back. But... I worked crazy hard all summer training teachers. And so it's August, into August, and I had to drive past that school because I was driving two hours all the way to Ruston, Louisiana from Logansport. And I drive by the school, and there were cars everywhere. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's a fire. You know, something's happened at Keithville Elementary Middle School. And then it dawned on me. It was the first day of school. And I cried (sighs) all the way to work. For 21 years, I've been there on the first day of school, and I wasn't, I wasn't there, and somebody was in my room, <laughs> and that was so hard, but you know, the people that I admire and respect kept saying, but your scope is so much bigger now. Yeah. You've got more influence than over your 200 kids that you teach mm-hmm. in a day. You're teaching teachers who teach that many, well, not quite, hopefully not that many, but that many, and so that job 
just kept going. We kept getting renewed. We were a very successful program. I loved it. And then I made the move to professor. And then I was trying to write a book. But teachers, you know, your kids first. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling. I was speaking some. And I was trying to work that out, which was easier, by the way. When I got to the university, I had a lot more personal freedom, a lot more flexibility. But I get on a plane, and my husband said, well, just write your book on the plane. Well, I've got journals from my college students that need to be responded to and lesson plans. And I finally said, Lawrence, I'm never going to write a book till I, till I retire. And I went 30 years, and we were going to be moving anyway. And we were moving to Mississippi because Lawrence had just uh, taken a job at Mississippi College. So I retired from the state of Louisiana after 30 years. And moved to Mississippi, and that's when I wrote my first book. And then the other three just came along after that. And it, and that's when I went full-time into speaking. Mm-hmm. And I was terrified mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, I had a little bit of retirement, but I've never made that much money as a teacher, so my retirement's not too huge. Yeah. I'm <laughs> going, is this going to work? Is this a little scary? Um, but it did work. And this is for your audience particularly I finally, I raised my rates and then just, just stepped back and just clenched my teeth. But I knew what comparable teachers were making, uh, speakers were making, and I wasn't there. And I just thought, I, I really am doing a disservice. Uh, and, and people were treating me kind of like a subpar speaker. Right. So you know what happened when I raised my rates? You know, because you're an entrepreneur. I got, more, I got more gigs. That's happened every time I've raised my rates. I get better gigs. And this is... This is counterintuitive, but the more they pay me, the better they treat me. Yes. My worst experiences have been when I do it for a discount. Mm -hmm. So here's my policy now. I will do a certain amount of free presentations during the year because I know that now my fees are out of reach for people that I think need to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. So I will leave some dates, and I'll say you can – I'll charge you expenses only, but I'm doing this for free. Or you can pay my full amount. But – um, when I do discounts, especially deep discounts, mm-hmm. first I get treated like second class, mm-hmm. and second, um, I, I find I'm you know I always want to do my best job, but sometimes I'm thinking, okay, guys, you know I, I'm doing this as a favor, and yeah. I, you know you could do a little bit better on the AV, you know you could have been a little more prepared, and there's just that little so now I just try to be. You know, I need this and this. And, you know, I have people that will tell me, well, we want you to come and talk about this and leave this out. And what I finally figured out is I just listen and I'm, I smile and I'm like, okay, got it. And then I do one. I know it's going to work. Right. Because I'm the professional. I've done this. I know teachers. Mm-hmm. But I'll get the bureaucrats that go, well, we want our teachers to hear this message. And teachers need to hear this. And <laughs> by God, they need to be doing this. I'm like, I hear you. And it's not that I'm not going to be true to their message. Right. But I'm going to do it the way I know works. Right. They hired you. And, yes, they hired me for a reason. And one of the reasons is, is because teachers relate to me because I am a real teacher. Mm-hmm. And I don't come across as a speaker from Mount Sinai with the tablet. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, God, just please don't ever mess up like I have. If we had videos of my first few years, I wouldn't even be here. I would be <laughs> in jail. But I meet most of the charges, and I'm here with you now. Today's episode is brought to you by 5D Show Services. 5D is a full-service trade show display, graphics, and services company with over 30 years of experience. 
They partner with companies of all sizes to help plan and execute their best trade shows and events on time and on budget. I've worked with Danny at 5D for over 15 years and continue to be impressed with the level of service and quality his team continues to provide. For more information on their capabilities, visit 5dshowservices.com. That's the number 5dshowservices.com. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot along the way. So what are some of those big challenges that you have overcome, whether it's in the classroom or uh, in your business now as a, as a speaker? Yeah. And, um, um, there were opportunities along the way. In fact, some of my colleagues were kind of jumping around on everything that came up because I didn't... We, we taught under really harsh circumstances. When I first started that school... You know, it was 100 degrees, 100% humidity. We didn't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. We bought our own copy paper. I mean, we're talking, it was it was bad. And so there were a lot of teachers just kind of jumping ship. Now I'm going to run to this district because they have air conditioning. I'm going to no. run to this district because they'll make me a supervisor. And, and I just am pretty loyal. And so I just hung on. And there were times when I'm like, you know, like when I was asked to take sixth grade, that was really as a punishment. I had a, a principal that really, we just clashed. He was a big chauvinist, and he hated women, and he had strong women a lot. So we didn't do well. And he did that to be mean. So I thought, well, I'll show him. I'll, I'll hate it, but I'm going to act like I love it. <laughs> I will act like this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, the irony is, day one, I'm like, oh, my God, I, I do love it. This is so cool. <laughs> but... Um, I think that was good to hang on even during the tough times, even when I had the not so great teaching situation mm-hmm. um, and just stayed. I mean, like the fact that I stayed in the Louisiana system, God, what a wonderful payoff that was because I could retire at 51, mm-hmm. which I did, mm-hmm. and then do other things. Um, my work has really not been that much of a challenge because I love it so much. I've been scared every time that I've raised my rates. Right. Uh, I've been scared a few times when it looked like things were slowing down. And it's almost like, I've, it's like you know, uh, I've run out of whatever made me me. Uh, maybe it's not there anymore. And maybe people don't want it anymore. And, you know, even a couple of my sons are like, well, how relevant are you, like, to the millennials? And why would they listen to you? And And, and I thought, oh, what if that's true? And then I thought... No, that's not true. First of all, my humor is pretty universal, but the truths are universal. Mm-hmm. And no, I have not taught in a classroom where kids had their individual cell phones, right? iPhones. Um, I have not taught with a smart board, but I'm in classrooms all the time where people do. And I stay up with technology and I read constantly and I stay abreast. And I don't, I don't fake it. I, I will just say to somebody, you know what, um, let me tell you what I've read about that, but I've never been in that situation. Mm-hmm. My kids did not have cell phones. Right. So that's not something I can tell you from experience. So how do, is there anything that you do to overcome those down points, that self-doubt, self-sabotage when you're, um, you're questioning whether you're, you know, relevant or is there anything that you do or is there a mantra or to get I, out of those spaces? Well, I... I read, I stay very current on what's going on, um, which is very affirming to me because I see, you know, little pockets. 
I also will go back and take something that may be a little bit older, or, and I get bored really easily. So, um, you know, I get bored with my own stuff. So just tweaking my presentations, uh, finding something new, finding a new video, um, honing a new story to tell my audience. Uh, I get really excited. It's like, oh man, I can't wait to share this with people. And I try to focus on, because for every time that I start feeling that, there'll be a time where people will just come up, you know, you're like, oh my God, I needed to hear you. Uh, you saved my life. You changed my idea. I was going to quit. I mean, there's all that. And I just, I just suck, suck that up like a sponge. Mm-hmm. I also always invite teachers to, to email me. And I really do, except when my computer crashes, I email everybody back. So that keeps me in touch with teachers mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm feeling bad, you know, about myself, um, I'll have a teacher that's in a situation and I'll spend an hour, you know, just writing an email with a response. If it's nothing more than I hear you, I, I feel for you, let's talk about what you could control and let's talk about how you're going to let go of what you can't control. Okay. And then that just, you know, it's like your grandma said, when you're feeling bad, go do something for somebody else. Right. That's really the key. Mm-hmm. And I don't always do that, but when I do it, 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 it helps everything. Let's yeah. back up quickly. So you're out there constantly, especially in August, which yeah. is the busiest <laughs> month. Um, you're constantly out there in front of, uh, you know, these big, small, all different types and sizes of audiences, um, you know, bringing insight and um, inspiration. What has inspired you or surprised you uh, in your journey that you didn't think was going to happen? One day, I was telling somebody about, you know, when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be a writer and a comedian, but my life took a different path, and that's fine, and da-da-da-da-da, and Lawrence, my husband, listened to that for a minute, and he said, well, whoa, whoa, back up, back up, step You are a writer and a comedian. Do you know I had never thought of that? Yeah. It didn't even dawn on me. But the circuitous route, because mm-hmm. when I said comedian, I saw myself in a comedy club. Right. And when I said writer, I was thinking about, you know, somebody like um, the guys that write all the top fiction, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, the, the big names. Yeah. Okay. I'm not either of those, but in my own way. With the, and, and I'll have people that will come up and say, you're so funny. Why don't you get in a comedy club? And my response is, why would I? Uh-huh. Why would I do that now? Why would I go put myself out there in front of a bunch, excuse me, <coughs> a bunch of drunks, you know, who and hecklers who just want to tell me they're funnier than I am. And that's the only reason they come there. And yeah. why would I put myself into that when I've got teachers who so appreciate somebody who is sardonic about Life as it is uh-huh. has the candor, but to teach them to laugh at it because it's not going to change. Right. But to make them laugh at our own human foibles, it's it's a gift that I have and that I get to share. Right. Which I love. There's no two drink, two drink minimum. To, no, no two <laughs> drink minimum. No. Although I would give them that if I could. <laughs> I think that would be great. But you know, occasionally I had a guy that tweeted out, "You're the most unfunny person that I've ever met. You are not funny. You are this and that. Just really, really harsh young guy." And I had made him part of a stunt, and apparently it embarrassed him, and which was so not my intention. But and I apologized to him. And on the tweet, I just said, 
you know, I understand that you're angry and I'm and I'm really sorry and I want to apologize again if I embarrassed you. I said, uh, but the whole presentation was called deliberate optimism, uh-huh. <laughs> choosing your joy. And and the stunt was to to show that that you need to have a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And um I said, all, all all I can say is I hope you you obviously didn't find your joy in my presentation, but I hope you found it somewhere for your benefit and for your kids. And I meant that. I wasn't being sarcastic. I meant that because I thought, guys, you're teaching middle school and you're that that sensitive. Mm-hmm. I, I worry. Not that everybody should see the world the way I do, but I just, whoa, a lot of blowback there, a lot of anger. And I was like, oh, okay. And, you know, it hit me. I'm not really good with criticism. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah. But... Learn from it, and that's what I've learned is to, if I'm going to do a stunt with somebody, then I need to vet and not just assume it's okay with everybody. So I do that now. I'll go, do you mind if I pull you up here and do something kind of funny with you? And they're right. Because like, there's so many hams out there like me that love that. Mm-hmm. So that was a lesson I learned. Okay, vet, vet your participants before you pull them up in front of everybody. That's true. Um, But like you said, looking at it from an educator's perspective, he is probably asking his students to get out of their comfort zone on a regular basis. It's part of what education is all about. So um, so you're right. There's there's a a bit of introspection, whatever. He needs to look inside to see what's what's missing. And Um, also some when somebody gives you a sincere apology, you would hope, but here's what I've learned about that, Steph. I can reach out and say, I'm so sorry, and if you can tell me how to make it up, I will, but I can't accept my own apology. They either do or they don't, Right. and I can't. That's one of those things I can't control, right. and so I'm really sorry that that happened, but uh, there's so many other times when people are like, I love being up there with you. That was so funny. They're uh-huh. still talking about that at my and that just makes me go, okay, I'm doing it more. <laughs> yeah. just... Well, and you are in the public eye all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's going to happen that you're going to get negative yeah. feedback every once yeah. in a while. Um, it, it, it's, it says a lot about you that you haven't gotten that very much. Yeah, that's probably true. That, um... It's easy to, to latch on to those you know, couple of bad ones and, and kind of hold that in your... Um, in your mind and your heart, but yeah. you get hundreds of great, probably over the years, thousands. Of yeah, great, great. And I and I do that. That builds me. And like I say, uh, I'm not angry or bitter about that yeah. at all. I just, I, as I grow, I know that's a learning experience. Right. What did you learn from that, Deb? Yes. And my learning was that's your audience. Mm-hmm. But see, here's Deb. This was my pride because I've always thought I'm so good at reading an audience because mm-hmm. I read kids. That's mm-hmm. what makes me a good teacher. I'm so intuitive and I know who to choose and I'm so good at picking the right person. Okay, well, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just had to say, okay, maybe you're not as good as you think you are. Maybe you should vet your audience. Right. And now we're in this litigious society right. where I have to be more circumspect about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with the political arena you know i've got certain things i can't say or do anymore just because um somebody's gonna get offended and i'm i have to be mindful of that now i'm ready for it you know if somebody invites me to a very conservative religious group Mm -hmm. then i prepare for that and i study and i look at the customs and i'm you know i've been overseas i've worked with muslims um all kinds of that but every once in a while it'll be when i'm not expecting it it'll come out of nowhere and i'm like okay so there's a few things that I have some great lines that I can't use anymore. 
because we're just a little culturally sensitive. And I'm like, all right. So speaking of um, learning the cultures, so you you went to Saudi Arabia, yeah, and some you know cultures that are very very different than yeah, uh, you know. Louisiana speaking of some, and Texas. yes, and, they are. Um, so, were you afraid? How did you How did you handle that? Uh, I was always with the educators, so I was never afraid. Uh, my husband was a little afraid for me to go to Saudi because um, he didn't get to go, and mm-hmm. I was actually going from Jeddah to Riyadh. Mm-hmm. But I said, Lawrence, it's not like I'm walking the streets. I'm always with educators, so I'm going to be taken care of. And that's the joy of my job. I'm always with teachers Mm -hmm. who are the best people. I'm sorry, but we are the best. (laughs) But they're going to take you. They're going to be your guide. They're going to tell you what to do, what not to do. They're going to, that's what they do. You know, they teach you. And it's, that is just joyful to me. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, they might be administrators, but they're former teachers. Mm -hmm. So I've never felt afraid anywhere I've ever been in a school setting because I'm with teachers. Right. And that's another thing about people go, do you get stage fright? I'm like, no. Um, things that normally would concern me, like, is my AV going to work? You know, is the, and I've been where they're jackhammering the, the, the ceiling while I'm talking, you know, our kid runs through and throws up. But when you're with teachers, we all just roll our eyes and go, well, another day. Yeah. <laughs> there we yeah. go. You never know what to expect. Yeah. I have another shout out. This one is to Wimberly Films. This is a husband and wife team that loves the art of filmmaking. With over 20 years of experience capturing the magic of life and business, they transform moments and memories into tangible treasures. I've seen these folks in action and it's amazing. Their work is breathtaking. To see some of their work, look them up on Facebook or visit their website, wimberlyfilms.com. That's wimberlyfilms.com. you wish you would have known when you got started when you retired and went on this new path that you know now Do you, is there anything that if you yeah knew now? I wish um I hadn't been so hesitant to to put myself um in the market at market price right because I'm an educator and because I'm so used to it's all edu- we low rent we take we'll take the leftovers we just that's what we do you know mm-hmm. we use whatever you're not using, because there's not money there for education. I don't mean the poor mouth, but that's just it. And so as an educator um, to, who speaks to mostly educational groups, I would make these assumptions, well, they can't afford that. You know, I'll, I'll cut them a rate because they can't afford that. And I did that a lot. And then they'd say, well, we had you, and then we had Ron Clark. And I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Ron Clark charges. I know what he charges. Same group. And I'm like, aha, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I think I do ask for what I'm worth. I wish I had known that in the beginning. I wish I had um, had always said, this is what I do. If you if you can't pay it, then let me give you offer a free date because I have, you know, maybe six this year. And I, I would change that. But pretty much, no. I mean, I'm really accommodating. My biggest fear is being thought of as a diva. Oh really? So yeah, so I go in with the AV guys, and I and I'll go. I know what y'all said when I walked in. She's in the room because they tell me that what what people do and how they act. So I'm like, you know, we'll make it work. They'll go. Well, we don't have this. Of course, I take a whole armload of adapters and stuff. But 
I try not to be demanding and all. I mean, but I do know what I need for my audience. So I will say, you know, yes, I do need a microphone or yes, I do need a handheld or yes, I do need, you know, a screen they can see. And I'm pretty adamant about that. But everything else, I'm like, don't worry about it. And they go, are you too hot or you're too cold? I'm going, whatever, what works for the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you want them seated? I'm going, however they're most comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I'm really, that's fine. I don't need all green M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> right. A certain brand of water. That's right. Um, so you inspire a lot of educators and administrators and leaders on a regular basis. And, and a lot of them will come up to you and say that they want to follow in your footsteps and take their message to the stage and to the masses like like you've been able Mm -hmm. to do what advice or thoughts do you have for those people you just mentioned one which is know what you're worth and ask for it right um, what what else? Print business cards. <laughs> don't give your actually don't, don't give the deposit slip. Um, I actually address that question a lot. Mm-hmm. And what I used to say is email me because I have some specific directions to tell them. But uh, and I say don't do it the way I did it because I just mine was happenstance and it just you know it, it worked for me. But that's not a very that's not a good business model. So for educators, what I tell them is go speak to anybody that will hire you or, or that will book you. And that means free, which I did for first. I spoke to the volunteer fireman's wife, you know, and I used to do a costume change and I've had firemen. I mean, I'm speaking to an audience of a hundred. They're holding a blanket. I'm on the other side changing clothes. Cause we're in a firehouse that has no, no changing room. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done some really weird things. <laughs> spoke to some very strange places, but I said, get out there and speak, go to the rotary club, go to the lions club just hone, get your, get your chops, like that's it when you're a singer. Hone your skills. Get your name out there. Then get specific. Go to conferences. You're going to have to pay your own way. You're going to pay to be a presenter, but that's fine. Do as many workshops as they'll let you. Do your very best job because people are going to come up to you. If you have something to say, if you're good at what you do, they're going to come up and say, do you do? And you're going to say, yes, I do. Here's my card. Now, I just always wait for them to call me, but you could get more proactive. You could say, I'll tell you what, write your name in contact information. Have something right there for them to sign, or if you've got it where you can you know, do it on your phone. But then you could follow up with a, a, a packet of information or call. And I know speakers that do that, that have gotten very proactive. Mm-hmm. I've got a friend of mine that will find out where I've spoken, and then she'll go see them and go, I know y'all just had Debbie Silver in. I speak a lot like she does. I would be a great follow-up. Uh-huh. And she's just getting jobs right by. And I'm like, great. Yeah, so she can look at your calendar. And yes. Right behind. And I'm like, do it. Why? Because I'm probably not going to go back. I do a few times, but most of the time I'm not going back because I don't do the long-term follow-up, which is another avenue that a lot of, of people would rather do. Let me come in several times, feedback. It's another way to do what I do, but it's not my preference. Mm-hmm. That theater arts comes out, you know, I want to do the big conference, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I would say, first of all, and, and then I would say join a speakers association. Right. Particularly if you've not been a speaker, uh, national speakers, and no, I'm not a member because I can't ever go because I'm always speaking. <laughs> but for a beginner, it's one of the best programs out there. National speakers association they tell you how to market they, they help you find your market they tell you how to set your fees all these little things i'm throwing out right now mm-hmm. they have workshops about how mm-hmm. to do that 
if, if that's not possible, then find a state speakers association. And if you're in a big city like we are in Dallas, they have their own. But go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Andy, you know, has started going to Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. They have a very specific style. But if if you're trying to get over the hump of speaking, it's just most educators we're used to speaking because mm-hmm. we do it all the time. But I would say um, join national speakers. And I said, let people know that what you do. And if somebody says, do you do a workshop on? And it's anywhere close to your your passion, interest, say yes. And then you go do your research and you make that workshop and you, it'll end up being probably your favorite mm-hmm. and you'll throw that in your repertoire. But that's what's happened with me. People say, uh, would say, do you do a workshop on? And I'm like, well, you know what? I probably could. Mm-hmm. And then I'll create something. Now, the one I wouldn't do was Common Core. And I had a lot of speakers bureaus that tried to, to say, can we just rework your title? We want to say use a Common Core speaker. And I said, no, no, it's, that's wrong. I never taught Common Core. I don't have a background in it. I'm not going to get a background in it. That's just disingenuous, and I just refused. And, of course, now we don't have it, which was a good thing. But it has to be something I believe in. I know I can do a good job with. But other And, and I have things where I go, do you do? And I'll go, you know what? I don't, but I'll find you somebody who could do that mm-hmm. because that is not my expertise. Like if you ask me, ELL, you know, do you have specific skills for helping um, ELL kids in the classroom? I don't. I don't. So I'm not going to take that on. But mm-hmm. I will find you somebody that can do that. Right. Yeah. So. How do you handle roadblocks generally? Crock. <laughs> <laughs> Poor me. What did this happen to me? I work so hard. And that takes about a minute. And then I'm so darn stubborn. I, I, you know, when they say, make a roadblock your challenge. I'm not sure I'm really great at that, but I'm pretty good about that. I'm that kid that growing up, if you said you can't be in our club, uh-huh. then my idea is, really? Because I'm going to come back and I'm going to own this club. Right. And then I will. You know, I will find a way to make that happen. So I, I, I try to see, you know, the realism in it. Because I think sometimes roadblocks are really in your head. They're not out there. Mm-hmm. That's We do a really good job on ourselves of going... Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not as so and so and so as this as they are. Okay, you need to stop all that right now. Just you got to be who you are. Um, and then if it's a legitimate roadblock, then I just accept it and say, okay, I'll just go around it. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that I feel like I can, I'll just blast right through it. Right. And then I'm. That's even better because it's like da 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 da. Did it. <laughs> Those superheroes. That's moments. it. Where do you find your best inspiration? Um, kids. Kids going, I got it. Uh-huh. I got it. Look at this. Look at this. Teachers. Um, I love to read stories about teachers and the kids that come back. And I love, I'm a sucker, you know, for teacher movies when they make a movie about a teacher that, change lives and um yeah that's pretty much I love all that stuff and then you know people like I can't think of his name right now the the little guy from Australia that just has he doesn't have legs he has oh you know you know who I'm talking about I do I don't know his name then oh shoot 
Anyway, man, just watch one of his videos. Right. And how could you not be inspired by that? Mm-hmm. This guy is incredible. Yeah. And just just keeps going and going. And, and when you watch things like that, then you look at those um, self-made roadblocks and think, why am I holding myself back? Exactly. And I'm also... Really, I'm, I love sports. I'm a huge sports person. And so listening to honest athletes like Michael Jordan who talk about their challenges and what they went through. Terry Bradshaw, you mm-hmm. know, right from Louisiana. And uh, I, I, I love Terry Bradshaw. I love his story. He went to Louisiana Tech where I taught. Um, he's older than me. He wasn't there <laughs> when I was there. But I love to hear. I love those stories. My own students inspire me. Uh, I took Lawrence to a, a reunion. They asked me to come be their speaker at their reunion. And they were like, how much would it cost? I'm like, I don't know. How much of y'all got? <laughs> no, I didn't do that. <laughs> and a lot of my kids that had, I mean, we're talking about abject poverty, no reason to be anything. And we got there, and I'm sitting at tables, and we're talking to lawyers and teachers and Terlene, who is, you know, was at the time going for lieutenant colonel and not going to be a colonel. And Lawrence's mouth was hanging open because we grew up not that far from each other. And the culture, I mean, I taught not that far from where he grew up and the cultures were similar. And, and those stories are probably true from where he is, but he doesn't know them. Mm-hmm. But I do know mine. He said, Deb, this is like a miracle. I mm-hmm. said, um, watch. I said, those are my kids. Yeah. And, of course, it, it was lots of things, but I know what those kids overcame to be who they are now, and I'm just, my heart just bursts with pride. So, yeah, I get a lot of inspiration from that. That's awesome. So we're, we're in our last round of questions. Uh, what do you, Debbie Silver, do for fun? I love to make people laugh. That is my favorite thing in the entire world. I love to create new material, whether it's written, um, you know, I like to write poems and books and, um, to create presentations that, that to me is just so much fun. Mm -hmm. Um, playing with the grandkids, love that, you know, love all our sons and families and being with them is just the best. I like to roller skate. Don't do it much, but I love to roller skate. And, um, I like to listen to books on CD, fiction, and I just, I don't know. Most of what I do is pretty fun. Yeah, you know what I I hear in that is the first things that you said that you love, uh, making people happy, playing with your grandkids, reading or listening to books. Um, You have made your career of the things that make you most happy. That's true. And that is the, um, that's probably why you're so successful <laughs> at it. Um, you, because you are living your passion. I am living my passion. That's, that's true. so wonderful. It is fun. Yeah. I love watching little kids learn stuff. And I love to be the one, you know, that teaches them that. It's just like I love, oh, gift giving. You know I love that. That's my, I love to find something that I know somebody's really, somebody's really going to like and then watching their face when they get it. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of like teaching when they finally go, oh, and I'm like, yes, yes, that is the best thing. Um, that's just the greatest feeling in the world. 
and to be able to speak to an audience and have them laugh first because I'm such a ham, but then to be able to come up and say, I have a kid like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. or you touched my heart when you talked about this, or a lot of women that listen to me because I talk about going through a divorce and that being, you know, pretty hard and make a lot of jokes about it, but they'll say, I'm going through a divorce and you just gave me so much hope right? because look how your life turned out. I said, yeah, you don't want to shut any doors because you don't know. And that, that brings me so much joy. Yeah. That'd be the greatest thing. It's absolutely wonderful. I've, I've sat in your audiences and I've watched people cry, then laugh and cry and laugh. <laughs> And I'm crying and laughing and crying and laughing. <laughs> it's, it's really a joy. And I am so honored that you have spent the time with me um, and, and shared your story. And there's so much more to it. So we might have you back on to talk about oh, even, anytime. even more. You know where I live. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, No, Debbie. thank it's you, Stephanie. So what a joy. And good luck with your podcast. So all of y'all that are listening, keep listening. <laughs> we have more. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steph. Hey, so what did you think of MVP Business? If you liked it, please subscribe and tell all your friends. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you didn't like it, don't just leave. Let me know what I can do to improve who you'd like to hear from and what you'd like to learn. The mission of MVP Business is to share the strengths and struggles of leaders who have successfully grown their businesses while staying true to their mission and vision so that other entrepreneurs can follow, knowing that the path isn't easy, but the journey's worth it. If you believe in this mission, please help by living it and sharing it. In the meantime, enjoy the day and live with passion.